Chapter 18 of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Friend. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter 18 The Dream of Sinsinwa. For a habitual opium smoker, to abstain when the fumes of Chandu actually reach his nostrils is a feat of willpower difficult adequately to appraise. An ordinary tobacco smoker cannot remain for long among those who are enjoying the fragrant weed without catching the infection and beginning to smoke also. Twice to redouble the lure of my lady nicotine would be but loosely to estimate the seductiveness of the spirit of the poppy. Yet Sir Lucian Pine smoked one pipe with Mrs. Sin, and perceiving her to be already in a state of dreamy abstraction, loaded a second but in his own case with a fragment of cigarette stump which smouldered in a tray upon the table his was that rare type of character whose possessor remains master of his vices following the fourth pipe pine after the second had ceased to trouble to repeat his feat of legerdemain the sleep claimed mrs sin her languorous eyes closed and her face assumed that rapt expression of buddha-like beautitude which rita had observed at kilfane's flat according to some scientific works on the subject sleep is not invariably induced in the case of europeans by the use of chandu loosely this is true but this type of european never becomes a habitue the habitue always sleeps that dream world to which opium alone holds the key becomes the real world quote, for the delights of which the smoker gladly resigns all mundane interests close quote. The exiled Chinaman returns again to the sampan of his boyhood, floating joyously on the waters of some yellow-lined canal. The Malay hears once more the mystic whispering in the mangrove swamps, or scents the fragrance of nutmeg and cinnamon in the far-off golden Kersenes. Mrs. Sin doubtless lived anew the triumphs of earlier days in Buenos Aires, when she had been La Bella Lola, the greatly beloved, and before she had met and married Sinsinwa. Gives much but claims all, and he who would open the poppy gates must close the door of ambition and bid farewell to manhood. Sir Lucian stood looking at the woman, and although one pipe had affected him but slightly, his imagination momentarily ran riot, and a pageant of his life swept before him, so that his jaw grew hard and grim, and he clenched his hands convulsively. An unbroken stillness prevailed in the opium house of Sinsinwa. Recovering from his fit of abstraction, Pine, casting a final keen glance at the sleeper, walked out of the room. He looked along the carpeted corridor in the direction of the cubicles, paused, and then opened the heavy door masking the recess behind the cupboard. Next, opening the false back of the cupboard, he passed through to the lumber room beyond, and partly closed the second door. He descended the stair and went along the passage, but ere he reached the door of the room on the ground floor, Hello! Hello! Sinsin! Sinsinwa! croaked the raven. Number one, please chop low! The note of a police whistle followed, rendered with uncanny fidelity. Pine entered the room. It presented the same aspect as when he had left it. The ship's lantern stood upon the table, and Sinsinwa sat upon the tea chest, the great black bird perched on his shoulder. The fire in the stove had burned lower, and its downcast glow revealed less mercilessly the dirty condition of the floor. Otherwise, no one, nothing, seemed to have been disturbed. Pine leaned against the doorpost, taking out and lighting a cigarette. The eye of Sinsinwa glanced sideways at him. 
well sinsin said sir lucian dropping a match and extinguishing it under his foot you see i am not smoking to-night no smoky murmured the chinaman very good stuff yes the stuff is all right sin number one proper crooned sinsin and relapsed into smiling silence number one please croaked the raven sleepily smartest he even attempted the castanets imitation but was overcome by drowsiness for a while sir lucian stood watching the singular pair and smiling in his ironical fashion the motive which had prompted him to leave the neighboring house and to seek the companionship of sinsinois was so obscure and belonged so peculiarly to the superdelicacies of chivalry that already he was laughing at himself but nevertheless in this house and not in its secret annex of a hundred raptures he designed to spend the night presently on le bas please patrol come long plenty soon murmured sinsinois indeed said sir lucian glancing at his wristwatch the door is open above sinsinois raised one yellow forefinger without moving either hand from the knee upon which it rested and shook it slightly to and fro ali lighty he murmured no blubbery ali peaceful fellows will they want to come in want you drink replied sinsinois oh i see if i go out into the passage it will be all right ali lighty even as he softly crooned the words came a heavy squelch of rubbers upon the wet pavement outside followed by a rapping on the door sinsinois glanced aside at sir lucian and the latter immediately withdrew partly closing the door the chinaman shuffled across and admitted two constables the raven remaining perched upon his shoulder shrieked smartest leg in buenos aires and fully awakened rattled invisible castanets the police strode into the stuffy little room without ceremony a pair of burly fellows fresh complexioned and genial as men are wont to be who have reached a welcome resting place on a damp and cheerless night they stood by the stove warming their hands and one of them stooped took up the little poker and stirred the embers to a brighter glow been having a pipe sin he asked winking at his companion i can smell something like opium no smoky opium murmured sinsinois complacently smoky wood pine ha <laughs> laughed the other constable i don't think you likey try one piecey pipe one time inquired the chinaman got ye flend makey smoky the man who had poked the fire slapped his companion on the back now's your chance jim he cried you always said you'd like to have a cut at it hm muttered the other a double o that fifteen over proof jamaica your sin will hit me in a tender spot to-night lum murmured sinsin blandly no i got he resumed his seat on the tea-chest and the raven muttered sleepily sinsin sin hm repeated the constable he raised the skirt of his heavy topcoat and from his trouser pocket drew out a leather purse the eye of Sinsinois remained fixed upon a distant corner of the room. From the purse, the constable took a shilling, ringing it loudly upon the table. Double rum, miss, please, he said fastidiously. There's no treason allowed nowadays, so my pals. I stood yours last night, Jim, anyway, cried the other, grinning. Go on, stump up. Jim rang a second shilling on the table. Two double rums, he called. Sinsinois reached a long arm into the little cupboard beside him and withdrew a bottle and a glass. Leaning forward, he placed the bottle and glass on the table and adroitly swept the coins into his yellow palm. Number one, please, Chop, 
croaked the raven. "'You're right, old bird,' said Jim, pouring out a stiff peg of the spirit and disposing of it at a drought. "'We should freeze to death on this blasted riverside beat if it wasn't for Sin Sin.' He measured out a second portion for his companion, and the latter drank the raw spirit off as though it had been ale, replaced the glass on the table, and having adjusted his belt and lantern in that characteristic way which belongs exclusively to members of the Metropolitan Police Force, turned and departed. "'Good night, Sin,' he said, opening the door. "'So long,' murmured the Chinaman. "'Good night, old bird,' cried Jim, following his colleague. "'So long!' The door closed, and Sin Sinwa, shuffling across, rebolted it. As Sir Lucian came out of his hiding place, Sin Sinwa returned to his seat on the tea-chest, first putting the glass unwashed and the rum bottle back into the cupboard. To the ordinary observer, the Chinaman presents an inscrutable mystery— his seemingly unemotional character and his racial inability to express his thoughts intelligibly in any European tongue stamp him as a creature apart, and one whom many are prone erroneously to classify very low in the human scale and not far above the ape. Sir Lucian usually spoke to Sinsinwa in English, and the other replied in that weird jargon known as pigeon. But the silly Sinwa who murmured gibberish, and the Sinsinwa who could converse upon many and curious subjects in his own language, were two different beings, as Sir Lucian was aware. Now, as the one-eyed Chinaman resumed his seat and the one-eyed raven sank into slumber, Pine suddenly spoke in Chinese, a tongue which he understood as it is understood by few Englishmen, that strange, sibilant speech which is alien from all Western conceptions of oral intercourse, as the Chinese institutions and ideals are alien from those of the rest of the civilized world. "'So you make a profit on your rums in Sinwa,' he said ironically, "'at the same time that you keep in the good graces of the police?' Sin Sinwa's expression underwent a subtle change at the sound of his native language, he moved his hands and became slightly animated. "'A great people of the West, most honourable sir,' he replied in the pure Mandarin dialect, "'claim credit for having said that business is business, yet he who thus expressed himself was a Chinaman.' "'You surprise me. The wise man must often find occasion for surprise, most honourable sir.' Sir Lucian lighted a cigarette. "'I sometimes wonder,' said Sinwa, he said slowly, "'what your aim in life can be. "'Your father was neither a ship's carpenter nor a shopkeeper. "'This I know. "'Your age I do not know and cannot guess, "'but you are no longer young. "'You covet wealth. "'For what purpose, Sinsinois?' "'Standing behind the Chinaman, Sir Lucian's dark face, "'since he made no effort to hide his feelings, "'revealed the fact that he attached to this seemingly abstract discussion "'a greater importance than his tone of voice might have led one to suppose. "'Sinsinwa remained silent for some time. "'Then, "'Most honorable sir,' he replied, "'when I have smoked the opium before my eyes, "'for in dreams I have to, "'a certain picture arises. "'It is that of a farm in the province of Honan.' Beyond the farm stretch paddy fields as far as one can see. Men and women and boys and girls move about the farm, happy in their labors, and far, far away dwell the mountain gods, who send the great yellow river sweeping down through the valleys where the poppy is in bloom. It is to possess that farm, most honorable sir, and thus paddy fields that I covet wealth. 
And in spite of the opium which you consume, you have never lost sight of this ideal? Never. But your wife? Sinsinwa performed a curious shrugging movement, peculiarly racial. A man may not always have the same wife, he replied cryptically. The honorable wife who now attends to my requirements, laboring unselfishly in my miserable house and scorning the love of other men as she has always done, and as an honorable and upright woman is expected to do, may one day be gathered to her ancestors. A man never knows, or she may leave me. I am not a good husband. It may be that some little maiden of Honan, mild-eyed like the musk deer and modest and tender, will consent to minister to my old age. Who knows? Sir Lucian blew a thick cloud of tobacco smoke into the room, and— She will never love you, Sinsinwa, he said, almost sadly. She will come to your house only to cheat you. Sinsinwa repeated the eloquent shrug. We have a saying in Honan, most honorable sir, he answered, and it is this. He who has tasted the poppy cup has nothing to ask of love. She will cook for me this little one, and stroke my brow when I am weary, and light my pipe. My eye will rest upon her with pleasure. It is all I ask. There came a soft rapping on the outer door. Three raps, a pause, and then two raps. The raven opened his beady eye. Sinsinwa, he croaked. Number one police chaplow. Sinsinwa glanced aside at Sir Lucian. The traffic, a consignment of opium, he said. Sam took calls. Sir Lucian consulted his watch, and, I should like to go with you, Sinsinwa, he said. Would it be safe to leave the house, with the upper door unlocked? Sinsinwa glanced at him again. All are asleep, most honorable sir? All. I will lock the room above and the outer door. It is safe. He raised a yellow hand, and the raven stepped sedately from his shoulder onto his wrist. Come, Tlingaling, crooned Sinsinwa. You go to bed, my little black friend, and one day you too shall see the paddy fields of Honan. Opening the useful cupboard, he stooped, and in hopped the raven. Sinsinwa closed the cupboard and stepped out into the passage. I will bring you a coat and a cap and scarf, he said. Your magnificent apparel would be out of place among the low pigs who wait in my other disgusting cellar to rob me. Forgive my improper absence for one moment, most honorable sir. End of chapter 18